I'm Lake Miller. And I'm Emma Scoville. Welcome to Gym City Diversity, a podcast where we talk about diversity and inclusion in the Dayton area. We are from the National Conference for Community and Justice of Greater Dayton, or NCCJ. NCCJ works in the Miami Valley to increase understanding around the topics of diversity and inclusion. Today on our episode, we are going to be diving into the Martin Luther King March here in Dayton and some of the history that the Martin Luther King March and specifically Martin Luther King actually had in the Miami Valley region. Um, So let's start by diving into the actual Martin Luther King March that happens and some of the other Martin Luther King events. Mm -hmm. Um, I have been a regular attendee of several different Dayton area Martin Luther King marches. Um, Emma has not, but I understand that you have some history of some University of Dayton events that have related to um, Martin Luther King, correct? Yes. um, University of Dayton has a MLK memorial on campus. And so last year around MLK Day, one of my classes took a field trip and we went to the memorial and then it was an English rhetoric class, so we kind of examined the visual rhetoric of the memorial, and I wrote an essay about it. So later we'll talk a bit more about the memorial and how it represents um, Martin Luther King's legacy. Awesome. So for listeners who are not familiar with the Dayton-based Martin Luther King March, um, yearly on Martin Luther King Day, which is the third Monday of every January, mm-hmm. um, people gather at the Drew Health Center here in Dayton and prepare for a march. Um, across Peace Peace Bridge, um, the Third Street Bridge here in Dayton. Um, So they prepare that march across from the Drew Health Center to the Convention Center. And this this happens every single year. Um, This year, I think, I don't know if this has happened ever before, but the march took a different route. um, As if you are in the Dayton area, you may be familiar that the Third Street Bridge is not so passable at the moment as there's (laughs) some major construction happening. Um, so this year took a, a slightly different route, but I think still the message was was the same, mm-hmm. despite missing out on that short that short bit of peace, um, the peace bridge there. So the the march starts, and really it's a very special thing when it starts. Um, I always express it as suddenly the streets just close; they just cease to be streets, and all of a sudden there's people everywhere, people with um, different signs and buttons and stickers, and who are singing and chanting and It's a moment where, to me, it's always felt like life almost ceases for a moment. The outside distractions almost cease, and everyone comes together to celebrate um, Martin Luther King, and then really in the greater sense to celebrate coming together, I think, as one unified community. So how many people do you think were there, Lake? You know, I... (laughs) I don't know if you would know. That is such a dangerous question. I feel like sometimes I give a number and people are like, geez, you are way over. And other times I'd say like, oh, there's 100 people. And they'd be like, are you kidding? There was way way more. more, Yeah. Um, But I would think that there were several hundred people Mm -hmm. at this march. Um, You know, it's a a great gathering. And what I love about those, however many people, you know, I don't want to be super wrong. Right, right. Um, But what I love about it is those people come from every walk of life. You know, Mm -hmm. so there's people like me who are there with youth groups and have youth there. There are people from churches. There are businesses who are there. There are um, politicians and city figures who are there. Um, and kind of everybody comes and your title is somewhat stripped. Like it doesn't matter where you come from, who you represent. Like we're all there and we are all together on this like level playing field that is the Martin Luther King March. And I feel like that's very representative of Martin Luther King's message and really what he fought for, for equality and to 
have everybody be equal no matter who they were and where they came from. Yeah, definitely. And and to me, even kind of beyond just looking at it being representative of Martin Luther King, I think that that has somewhat become a, a an image of Dayton. Yeah, in I was general, thinking that is, too. Is we just come together. You know, we we talked about the KKK rally. Yeah. And how Dayton rallied after the KKK rally. We know the tornadoes tore through the Miami mm-hmm. Valley and Dayton rallied behind that as well. Um, we know that the shooting in the Oregon yes. district tore through Dayton and we rallied behind that. And we're seeing that theme in a lot of our podcasts episodes have yeah. talked about that theme. And to me, that's one of those moments where you're like, wow, we are all together. We are all here for this one purpose, this purpose of furthering equality and making sure that our brothers and sisters, no matter what their background are, who are in this community, feel like they are cared for and supported and know that they have the community behind them. For sure. And I saw online that people had, you talked about the signs, and I saw that people had Dayton Strong signs kind of as a callback to the summer and everything that happened and that we are still one community and we're still all together. Yeah. You know, and I think we've talked about on other episodes that Dayton Strong and to me, the Dayton Strong is really interesting because it was born out of such tragedy, Mm -hmm. but it hasn't stuck with that tragedy per se. It's been claimed as a Dayton term. Like we are through tragedy, through happiness, through anything, any just regular week, we are strong and we are proud of being Daytonians. And um, to me, the great turnout every year in this Dayton MLK March is one of those like moments that I can think, wow, I am proud to be a Daytonian. Um, in something that like as simple as the weather, you mm-hmm. know, like it's cold. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Like January that March is, is cold, cold but it doesn't turn people away. You know, mm-hmm. I've gone out to Martin Luther King marches that were below zero. Mm-hmm. I've other years, this is Ohio, so sometimes it may be 40 or 50 yeah. degrees. It's hard to tell what the weather is going to do on any given day. Um, but, you know, despite what the weather is, people show up and people are there. So, and there's a lot of other Martin Luther King marches that happen in the Dayton area. Dayton's mm-hmm. is not the only one. Um, I grew up in Yellow Springs. The Yellow Spring March was my, um, what I grew up on. And that was my standard for a while mm-hmm. before I started attending the one in Dayton. And they all kind of have that same feeling and a lot of the same songs and a lot of the same things being chanted. Um, but really just a very special feeling for the community. So let's talk a little bit about MLK's history in Dayton. And it's very interesting history. Yeah, very deep. And I didn't realize the extent of this. I grew up in Yellow Springs, and um, there's like a photo every year that surfaces around Martin Luther King um, Jr.'s day that has Martin Luther King giving a speech at Antioch College in Yellow mm-hmm. Springs. And so to me, I always grew up thinking like that is the extent of Martin Luther King's time in Dayton, which after doing the research for this episode, like I could not have been more wrong. Yeah. Um, So let's talk about several of those items. So to me, it seems like Central State was one of the first times that Martin Luther King spoke in the Dayton area. Mm -hmm. And he somewhat became known, I think, for giving these commencement speeches at several local colleges and universities. Yeah, for sure. So in 1958, Martin Luther King gave the commencement speech to Central State's um, class. 172 graduates um, were here in 1958. And he gave this speech about the time that they're graduating. He said, quote, you are graduating at the time of the dying of an old world and the birth of a new world. 
That's very dramatic. Yeah, but I, I think probably very true oh, yes. in this time. Um, and so that, I think, birthed his time in mm-hmm. the Miami Valley. Um For those who don't know, some of the history as well, some of the background that you'll see here is Martin Luther King's wife, Coretta Scott King, um, actually attended college at Antioch College Mm -hmm. in Yellow Springs. Um, So there are a lot of ties that that Martin Luther King Jr. had to the the Dayton, Yellow Springs, Mm -hmm. Miami Valley area. Yes. And he came back to the Dayton area at least three other times. He gave a speech at the University of Dayton. He gave one at Wilberforce Uni- University, and as we talked about, Antioch College as well. Right, yeah. So Wilberforce being then in 1965 mm-hmm. on June 9th. And Antioch's also... It was about two weeks later in June of 1965. Right. And I wonder, you know, at this time, was was that a two weeks where he's staying here? Is this... You know, I'm kind. I'm. I'm curious how that all curious. plays out. I mean, potentially, since his wife went to college in the area, they, there could have been friends that they could have been visiting. But I didn't see anything about what he was doing during that time. Right. So, the other thing that I want to mention at this time in in Antioch and this time that he was spending in mm-hmm. the entire area um, is it all? It wasn't all peachy while he no. was here. Um, so, when he was at Antioch, actually giving his commencement. Um, come to find out, lo and behold, that there was actually a plan to assassinate him mm-hmm. um, while he was giving his commencement speech. And I'm a little bit fuzzy on the details, but I think ultimately the plan was to have um, someone do the assassination and then have 10 additional people who were going to fire shots into the crowd yeah. at Antioch. Terrifying thought. Yeah. The woman who was in charge of planning it, um, her name was Eloise Wit, I believe is how you would say that. I would assume. And um, she was supposed to sell 11 um, shotguns, sawed-off shotguns to these different men. She sold one of them to um, the man who ended up revealing all of this at a um, congressional hearing, I believe, is how they found out about all this information. But then she ended up calling off the whole thing because she was too busy planning a KKK rally, which is... It kind of all comes back to that. We talked about the KKK rallies and they were definitely really prevalent at the time. We talked about, you know, how University of Dayton had several things. To me, I was really surprised that that was the reason that this was called off was that they were so busy planning for the KKK rally. Um, And obviously, you know, I'm grateful that that he was not assassinated and was able to go on. Um, He ended up being assassinated three years after this event would have happened at Antioch. Um, and certainly a lot of impact was made in that time. So there was actually testifying that happened as part of this case. And Daniel Wagner um, was actually actually testified and I assume was charged in this. I'm yeah, not sure. I don't know. I would assume so. So, but, but really scary things to think about that mm-hmm. while he was here in Yellow Springs in the Dayton area, this was happening because while we see this this negative side, we also see a really big positive side. You know, he was asked to speak at all of these schools. Mm-hmm. Um, he was even given a key to the city. Yeah, um, I have a quote here from. Let me see the city commissioner at the time, Don L. Crawford, and when um, he presented the king or the key to Dr. King, he said, "In this city, there are some doors neither this key nor my persuasion can open to you," which is very indicative of the times, but also um, it was a great honor for um, 
MLK to get the key to the city. Okay, so let's circle back then on that University of Dayton Memorial and some of these items that are still to this day um, reminders of the time and the energy that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. spent in the Dayton and Miami Valley area. Right. Okay. So in November of 1964, that was when um, Dr. King came and visited the University of Dayton, and he gave a speech in the Fieldhouse, which is now the Frerich Center, and there was over 6,500 people in his atten- in attendance to his speech at that time. And so um, he talked a lot about segregation during his speech, and one of his quotes says, We stand on the borderline. The system of segregation is on its deathbed. The only uncertainty is how costly this segregationist will make the funeral. So that's kind of the gist of what he was talking about during that time. And so UD now has a memorial honoring Dr. King and his work on campus. And it came about when um, Professor Dr. Roger Crum found out that um, Dr. King had been on campus. It hadn't been um, something that a lot of people knew about. And he really wanted to honor him. And so he teamed up with brother Gary Marcinowski, I believe it would be how you would say that. And they decided that they were going to make a memorial. Originally, they thought, okay, let's do a statue. But there's a lot of statues on campus. And speaking as a UD student, sometimes I just walk by, I'm like, oh, it's another statue of a person. Right, they get glossed over a little bit. And I'm sure there's tons of statues of Martin Luther King Jr. around the U.S. So let's do something different is what they thought. And so if you've ever seen it, it does look very different. And you stop and you wonder, what is this? So I'm going to tell you a little bit about what it looks like. So if you're walking towards the library, you might see three chairs in a podium and wonder, what are these chairs doing here? Well, that's the memorial. It's um, spread across the sidewalk, so it's interactive. In order to get to the library, if you take the certain path, you have to walk through it, which kind of invites reflection, which was the idea behind it. And there's um, three chairs, as I said, and on one of the chairs, there's a jacket and a Bible. And the first time I saw it, I thought somebody had left their jacket and their book there. I thought, oh no, why did somebody leave that there? That was purposeful, it's to show that um, Martin Luther King Jr.'s journey is still ongoing and that we have to take it up and be part of it, which I think is a really cool part. Yeah, that's beautiful. And then there's a podium. And what's interesting is the podium's made out of this um, black granite. I don't remember where it's from. And it's reflective. So when you look into it, you see yourself. And let's see if, oh yeah, I have the quote from the podium and it's very, it's very powerful. It says, If a man has not discovered something that he would die for, he ain't fit to live. And then there's another quote on one of the benches nearby, and it says, Somewhere we've come to see that human progress never rolls in on the wheels of inevitability. It comes through the tireless efforts, the persistent works of dedicated individuals. And these are both quotes from his speech at um, UD. The memorial is very different than a traditional memorial and it really does invite reflection of the students and anybody else who would come to see it. Wow. Yeah. And I think I actually had an interesting conversation um, at a school district I was working with the other day about physical monuments. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if they if the students felt that physical monuments actually were important in us remembering these historic events. Um, And I think for a lot of us and kind of the reflections that these students had was there's a lot of monuments of people and a lot of things Mm -hmm. that we just look past them. We just walk by or maybe they've, they're have they in a park somewhere that we maybe don't interact with. I right. love the idea of that being something that 
have to engage with something that you have to see and you have to reflect and um, purposefully inviting that self-reflection. I think to me, a lot of what Martin Luther King's work is moving forward is being able to reflect in ourselves and being able to reflect in our spaces and the messages of our spaces and make sure that um, that we're carrying on his message and carrying mm-hmm. on um, the fight for for equality and equal rights. That's why I really like the quote on the podium about if you haven't discovered something you would die for, you're not fit to live. And that the podium is reflective is when you read that, you see your own face and you wonder, have I discovered something like that? And I think that's just a very powerful moment of self-reflection and thinking about who you are as a person and what you stand for. Yeah, yeah. Trying to identify your fight. What is Mm -hmm. my, what are the battles that I'm going to take up as a person? How am I going to advance, you know, civil rights or... Um, or whatever it is that you right. are going to work for the advancement of. So I think that's really beautiful. And I think that ties in. Um, I actually had the the honor of seeing Martin Luther King Jr.'s granddaughter actually speak. Um, she spoke at the, the March for Our Lives, and that quote really makes me think about what she said. And she said, quote, my, granda- my grandfather had a dream that his four little children would not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream that enough is enough and that this should be a gun-free world, period. And it's interesting, and I say that not to to make a stance about gun control mm-hmm. or anything of like that, but to say, you know, it's really interesting to me that the grandfather, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., has this really strong message and this purpose of his life to fight for equality. Um, and then, you know, you go down two generations and you have this granddaughter who isn't necessarily fighting for a directly the same mm-hmm. cause. They're definitely interrelated and right. connected. Um, but again, has that cause. And, you know, thinking back to that quote, she has found something that she thinks that she is required to fight for, that mm-hmm. she is so passionate about that it's her mission at this point to advance that cause. Um, I think that's a beautiful thing that it says about the King family. Yeah. But I think it's also really beautiful to see these different generations fighting for perhaps not the same thing or maybe not exactly the same thing, um, but each fighting for something that is uniquely important for them. You know, for for Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., the thing that really affected his life was his ability to um, interact as a free citizen, as a black man. For his granddaughter, her, her fears and her passion is being able to feel that she can go to school safely mm-hmm. um, and not have to worry about gun violence in her life. Um, you know, so looking at entirely different different causes, right? Um, but a lot of very similar themes. For me, as I go through this month and starting, I guess, in January with Martin Luther King Day and moving forward into February, we have Black History Month and, um, you know, a lot of definitely diverse holidays happening in this time of year. Um, I'm really reminded of the idea that we all have this inner fight and that we all have a duty somewhat to be fighting for equality and making mm-hmm. sure that we're taking care of the people around us. We say in a lot of our programmings here at NCCJ, like it's important to speak up for the communities who are being oppressed. It's really important to identify those areas that you can be an ally. Um, we talk a lot about something called the action continuum and talking about trying to be somebody who's initiating programs to prevent oppression Mm -hmm. versus somebody who is advancing oppression. 
And to me, this is a yearly reminder as I go through this march, as I go through um, the readings and the pictures and, and the reminders of Dr. Martin Luther King that we need to be furthering the cause, that we need to be consciously making an effort in our life to make sure that we're taking care of the people around us. I definitely agree with that. There's times in your life and it can just be little tiny things like for example last semester I was in a class about state politics and we had to give um, a presentation about different policies between states and um, the only African-American student in the class she did a presentation on hair discrimination policy I don't remember if that's exactly what it was called and a lot of the um, students in the class didn't understand and they were making not me they didn't mean to be but they were making racist comments and saying that they didn't understand why it was such a big deal for her to have to straighten her hair or something like that and in that moment i chose to speak up and tell them that it what they were saying was wrong that they didn't understand what it was like and as a white man they obviously don't have similar hair like problems or issues or hair type as she does and so i chose to speak up in that moment and i can't Further, I can't give a personal testimony like she could about her experiences going through school and being told that her hair was too big by different officials. But I did choose to stand up and say, I'm not going to side with the rest of these people. So. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, that kind of is the point of you own your story, you know, so the person giving that presentation owns their story. And I don't have the right to say, oh, that's not your story mm-hmm. and your story's not correct. Um one of my co-facilitators in that session that I was talking about the other day in a school, um, Gloria, one of my good friends, she said to me, we were talking about allyship, and she said, you know, allyship is not easy. Allyship is something that you consciously have to be making an effort to do at all moments. You need to be educating yourself. You need to be asking questions of why, um, trying to understand and trying to better yourself. And it's a constant battle. And, and, she, she went on to say, like, it's convenient and easy to not do anything. Mm-hmm. Like, it is so easy for me to go home at the end of the day and watch a comedy while I sit on my couch and not do anything to further the cause of humanity. Um, but if no one's doing it, then, you know, what's going to happen? If nobody's stepping Nothing. up, <laughs> right, like, we're all going to be living in this terrible world if nobody is able to speak for the other people in this world. And you know, trying to tie this all back to Martin Luther King and to the Martin mm-hmm. Luther King March. Like that to me is what's happening at the Martin Luther King March. Like that is a day of work that I choose to go in on a holiday. Like right. I could very well have slept in mm-hmm. and stayed in my heated house and that could have been the end of it. Right. But instead I got up early, put on like my long underwear and my <laughs> gloves and my hat and like right. brave yeah, yeah, the yeah. cold. Because allyship is not always convenient. Mm -hmm. It's something you have to go out of your way and fight for. And in the end, I think fighting for the the humans around you and the the human cause, that was worth me getting out of bed a couple hours early and braving the cold. All right. Um, So we have a few exciting things coming up. Um, Our next episode here in the next two weeks is going to be um, a special on on Black History Month. Right. Um, We are going to have some special guests here. We're very excited. So we hope that you join us in two weeks uh, for that episode. I believe that's going to be February 25th. 
Um, I also just want to close with this. We wanted to take an opportunity to advertise an upcoming NCCJ fundraiser. So for those who don't know, NCCJ is a small nonprofit um, operating on a tight budget. And we are running a very exciting fundraiser. Um, we are hosting a charity concert. So on February 29th, NCCJ will be hosting its first ever charity concert at Flyby Barbecue in Beaver Creek. Um, tickets are $20, and 100% of that $20 goes directly into the youth programming that NCCJ offers. We are able to offer our youth pro we are able to offer our youth programming to our participants at a greatly subsidized rate, or for some of our participants, free. Um, and we are able to do that through the generosity of our donors. So coming to this concert not only is a great way to spend your evening, but $20 can go a long way with our programming. Mm -hmm. Special guests um, that evening are going to include Scotty Mays, Life and Idol, Railroad Rosen and the Pots and Pans, um, Joseph Mindy Berman, and more. To find out more or to purchase tickets, you can go ahead and visit nccjconcert.rsvpify.com. That concert, again, is going to be February 29th from 10 o'clock at night until about 1230 or until the music stops. So we hope <laughs> to see you there. I think it's going to be a really, really amazing night. So with that, um, we will see you all in two weeks. Thank you for tuning in to Gem City Diversity. Make sure to come back next time as we dive into our next topic. For more information on NCCJ and diversity within the Miami Valley, go visit www.nccjgreaterdayton.org. Make sure to like NCCJ of Greater Dayton on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram at nccj underscore of underscore greater underscore Dayton. And follow us on Twitter at nccjdayton. I'm Emma Scoville, and I was joined today by my co-host Lake Miller, and we'll see you next time.